Okay. Um, I have the privilege, uh, well, it's an honor, first of all, to even be talking to you, uh, but I have the privilege this morning to be ending our study on Jonah. And before we start, uh, I'm just going to pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance um, in a world that is so chaotic right now, a chance to come together and just focus on you. God, every brother and sister who has come through that door is coming with baggage, is coming with um, hurts and disappointments and happiness and all these things in their lives. Uh, And God, I've prepared something this morning, and and maybe you have something totally different. And so I ask that we would be open to whatever it is that you have, um, that we'd be able to focus um, and leave this place knowing that we are loved by a God who loves people more than anything else. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'll be very honest and upfront with you. I am super nervous this morning. Uh, I did not sleep well last night because of you. Um, (laughs) And I I have wanted to talk on Jonah for a long time. And then uh, the chaplain started this series, and I was like, oh, that's so great. And and then um, I got an email from Chaplain Wright, and it says, hey, we'd like for you to talk. And we're talking on Jonah, but you feel free to talk about whatever you want. And uh, which makes me feel bad. It's kind of like, do you think I would just go do what I want? Which I probably would, which is really sad. And, but when he talked about Jonah, like we want you to end this series, I got really excited um, because I had the chance to study Jonah a while back. And I have come to realize this. This is probably one of the, not the most important, but one of the most important stories in the entire Bible to show us God's heart. Um, and so I hope this morning that this makes sense to you. I have a lot of things in my head that I want to tell you, and I had actually four pages of notes, and I was like, that can't happen, um, because people want to eat lunch. And so I was like, I've got to narrow this down. So now you have this little page, which is good. Uh, and so what I want to do is do a little recap of where we've been so far. So Jonah is this Israelite who, during this time, God has called him to go to Nineveh to tell them, hey, you need to fix your life because God is going to destroy you in such and such time. Now, a lot of times we read the Bible, and I think we read it incorrectly. I think we read the Bible going, oh, this person wrote this story directly to me, and I don't believe that that's true. I believe during that time, the person who wrote Jonah, an Israelite, is trying to tell the Israelites something from God. So this person didn't start writing Jonah and say, hey, I'm going to write this story to Del May so he can preach it on whatever date, and da-da-da, to a group of people in a chapel. No, but there is something to be learned from it. And it's important that you see it from the perspective of the person that wrote it. And I wasn't here the first week uh, when they spoke on Jonah, so I'm not sure if he covered this, but a brief thing really quick. Um, The Israelites were being oppressed and hurt by a group of people, um, and they were pretty much enemies and they hated each other. So God comes to this Israelite and says, I want you to go to Nineveh and do something good for them by telling them that I love them. Now, if you're Jonah and you hate these people and God comes to you and says, I want you to go do something good for them. What is your first response? What? (laughs) So when it says God spoke to Jonah and Jonah ran, it makes sense. It makes total sense. He's, uh, no, I hate those people. They're my enemy. And so he goes the other way. So every other Israelite reading this story at the time 
is going to identify with Jonah, and you think that they're going to look at, oh, he's being so disobedient. I believe the Israelites are like, heck yes, run away. Don't go tell those people. Don't help them. They're our enemy. But we look at it, and we focus on, oh, disobedient. God's going to send a big fish. Disobedient, Jonah. I don't think that's how it was. I think the people at the time reading this are like, that makes total sense. I would run. And so we get to this point where he's running, and then he gets on this boat, and the people on the boat, and a lot of times in our stories, we live in a world where it's very dualistic, where it's like, here's good, here's bad. Here are people doing good, here are people doing bad. Here are the people saying this bad thing, here are the people trying to correct the people saying that bad thing. So it's very dualistic in the way that we live and the way the world has become the way that we believe. The problem with this story is it doesn't fit in that category. Because to the Israelites is, we are good, Nineveh is bad. The Israelites were supposed to be the people following and loving God. So then why did Jonah run away? Jonah runs away, gets on a boat. He's on the boat. While he's on the boat, big storm comes. Then all of a sudden, the, the pagan and the, the bad people on the boat who have no relationship with God start to pray and start to call out to who? Okay, this is where we talk back and forth. <laughs> start to pray and call out to who? God. What is Jonah doing during that time? Sleeping. Sleeping. The person who's supposed to be doing the right thing is not. The people who are supposed to be doing the bad thing are not. So there's something wrong with this story. So if you were an Israelite during this time and you heard this, it would not match your train of thinking like there's something weird happening here. And then it goes on to say, uh, he's on the boat, they find out he's the issue, and they cry out to God. Jonah wants to commit suicide. He says, throw me overboard. They throw him overboard. All this stuff happens. Big fish comes, swallows him up. He's in the belly. He starts to pray. He gets puked up on the ground. And then God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. He says, okay. That's where we are. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up. It's insane, this story. Okay? So we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And uh, Jonah has now been puked up by... Well, and let me just share this with you really quick. I used to work at a vacation Bible school when I was in high school for our church. And they asked for people who, to do skits. And I'm thinking, oh, you get to act like a complete idiot in front of kids. That's awesome. I can do this. And so I raised my hand and volunteered. and like, hey, we want you to be Jonah. And I was like, sweet. I can be Jonah. We want you to be Jonah. Like, you need to come in to the VBS room. Like, Jonah has just been puked up by the whale. And I was like, okay, that's easy. You're going to put some seaweed on me. We're going to cover you in tapioca pudding. I was like, what? Yeah, we want it to look like vomit. They covered me in tapioca pudding. To this day, I do not eat tapioca pudding, and it makes me nauseous because it's chunky and it's gross. And so you come to this room. That's a side story. All right, chapter three. Sorry. Uh, chapter three. VBS scars you. See? Okay. Okay. Uh, that's not true. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into a city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Now imagine this. I would assume that Jonah stood out in his city if he was an enemy. You come to this city, 
and you start teaching whatever it is that God told you to say, and we only have a couple of words. We don't know what else he said, but it just says 40 more days and then we'll return. And for some reason, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, the greatest from the least, put on sackcloth. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if you don't know what sackcloth is, uh, when you are in a state of repentance or grieving, um, the Bible talks about how people put on sackcloth. And it was like this thing made of black goat hair. And it was very uncomfortable because you're in a state of mourning, a state of um, asking for forgiveness. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. And so they put this on. And this is where the story gets just dumb. It says, When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. The king takes off his nice clothes and puts on sackcloth and sits down in the dirt. He is wearing black goat hair. Just remember that. Sackcloth is black goat hair. And verse 7, Then he issues a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the kings and his nobles... Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. That's called fasting. This is the first time ever recorded, and only time ever recorded, that animals fasted. It's weird. He says we need to fast, and so are the animals, but then it gets sick. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Are you making the connection? Let the goats wear their goat's hair. (laughs) Let's kill some goats and put it on the living goats. That's therapy. Like, they're going to need to go to therapy for this. So you have goats running around with goat hair. That's not theirs. It's weird. I want, and the thing is, note this. When weird stuff happens in the Bible, you should probably pay attention because there's a purpose. Like when the donkey talks and the burning bush never, it burns, but it never goes up in flames. Like when things are weird, you need to pay attention to what's going on. So the king says, we're all going to fast and the animals are going to wear animals. It's weird. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And in verse 10, when God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah gets puked up, goes to a city, says a couple of words. His biggest enemies repent and change their ways. And it says that God relents from the destruction that was going to happen to them. This is a beautiful thing. This is a massively awesome, just crazy thing that just happened if you don't understand. An enemy spoke to an enemy and they chose God. It doesn't fit the paradigm in which we live. There are good people and there are bad people and the bad people need to get what's coming to them. And the Israelites believed Those people are bad. God's going to destroy them. This is going to be freaking awesome. How many of us think like that? But Jonah goes, and not only did the entire city repent and change their ways, but the animals 
had to play a part. And that's really important. Now, us thinking that that is a great thing, let's see what Jonah says. In chapter 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Who has the issue? Who has the issue? Who shouldn't have the issue? He's the one that says, I love God and you love God now? Well, that sucks. There's a problem with Jonah's thinking. There's a problem with his attitude. And he goes on to say, in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. These people accepted Christ, shoot me in the freaking head. That's what he's saying. It's insane. It's like these people made a choice to give their life to God, and Jonah is ticked. And the funny thing is, he compliments God in the midst of his anger. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And he says, but kill me, for it's better for me to die than to live through all of this stuff. And verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? What makes you think you have the right to be angry? If my grace was good enough for you, then it's good enough for everyone. That is what he is saying. This story is about grace. This story is about God calling out the people who claim to love him and telling them, your theology is messed up. Your attitude sucks. How many of you in here have children, including teenagers, because they are still kids? How many of you have ever experienced a bad attitude? Let's be honest, this is a chapel. When your child has a bad attitude and smarts off, or does that whole, let me stop so you can hear me stepping up the steps that the room you're sending me to, let me fall on the ground in the BX and start screaming and turning circles and all this stuff, is your first thought, I love you, buddy. (laughs) That is not your first thought. First, you look around to make sure no one's watching. And then you hesitate from entertaining the thought you just had. And you choose to discipline that child. I know working with teenagers over the years, they're not my kids. (laughs) Thank God. Um, And sometimes they say things and do things that just... You're cute. You know, it's like that held back response of... I want to punch you in the throat right now, but I'm going to hesitate. That's called grace, buddy. You know, (laughs) let me teach you a good biblical lesson right here. And so that is what is happening. And so we continue the story in verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city. The city repents. God says you've got 40 days, and then something bad's going to happen to you. The city repents. Jonah goes out and sits 
away from the city, facing the city, waiting for what? He's waiting for the 40 days to be up. He's like, it's coming and I have a front row seat and this is going to be awesome. And so he waits there. And it says there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He gets all cozy and gets in and ready. It's like for a fireworks show. Like you get this place where it's like, we're going to sit down, we're going to watch all these fireworks. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be sparks, fire, everything. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now, this is the only time in this entire story that we see that Jonah is actually happy about something. And actually that word in there, it's translated happy, which I think is a very poor translation. It's like ecstatic, like just euphoria. I'm so excited, all this stuff. And his happiness is coming partly from the fact that he's waiting for this city to be destroyed and that God has provided this wonderful shade for him. And it's great and it's awesome. So it says that he's happy. But then in verse seven, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Again, he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Fit number two. He's like a two-year-old or 16. They all do the same thing. So he's throwing a fit again and saying, I would rather die than to have to deal with this. God provides this wonderful shade in the heat so that he could be comfortable is the word that we have. And then it goes away and Jonah gets angry and depressed and sad. Now, let's review. Here's a story about a man. God says, go to these people, tell them about me. So he says, no, he runs away. He gets on the boat. The people on the boat are like, why is this storm happening? They figure out it's Jonah. They throw Jonah overboard. He gets swallowed by a big fish. And the big fish, he repents and is sad and says sorry to God. And then he's puked up on um, the shore. And then he goes to Nineveh, tells them the great thing about God and how much he loves them. The whole place repents, including the animals. And then Jonah goes off, gets so sad and depressed that he wants to kill himself because of a plant. You cannot make this stuff up. It's so weird. I haven't known in any history someone who wanted to die because their plant died. I've never, maybe you, maybe you people who love planting stuff and like the rose dies or something and it's like the end of the world and all this stuff. It makes sense because why? Because you took time to nourish and love and comfort that rose so that it would grow into this beautiful thing that you can see. And when it dies, you have a right to be sad. Jonah didn't do that. He didn't do anything with that plant. God made that plant grow. And so now here's God's response. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, and I would like to put in parentheses again, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah says, I do. I am angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You're ticked about something that you played no part in. You know what that is called? Self-righteousness. I deserve this. I deserve good things in my life because I did what God said. I deserve great things. 
when you tell someone about Jesus and you share your story and they choose to follow Christ because of your story, because they see what God has done in your life, did you save that person? You did nothing to save them. You shared your story and God used you. But when it comes to saving the soul of a human, God gets the credit. Not me, not my story, not the church, not the preacher. No one but God gets the glory. And it is self-righteous to think that you deserve good things because you did something good. Again, it is about grace. It is all about grace. And let's look at the end of this story. In verse 11, so first God says, you've been concerned about this vine, though it did not tend or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And then verse 11, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So then God gives this question to Jonah and says, you're so worried about this plant that you paid no part in creating, that you played no part in nourishing so that it would grow. But I have invested and created and loved all of these people. Should I not be more concerned about them than this stupid plant? That is what he is saying. And the thing that stinks about this story is that's it. That's the end. I remember first reading this and you're like, and it just so happens to end right here. And I'm like, what does Jonah do? That's the book of Micah. (laughs) My Bible's missing a page. I don't understand. What did Jonah do? What is happening with this story? It ends with the question. Imagine this. It's like your favorite movie. Let's just let me think of a movie. Rocky. Everybody knows what that is. Rocky, right? He spends all this time getting ready to fight. And you're in a movie theater. And that big fight is coming. Like my favorite one was when he fought the Russian. And so the big fight's coming. He's getting ready to fight the Russian. It's so good. You're sitting in the movie theater. And you're like, as a teenager, you're like, he's going to kick his butt. This is going to be great. All of a sudden, the real breaks and the movie stops. I'm going to set this place on fire because I want to see what happens to Rocky. This is what that is like. And you think like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why isn't, why, what's the rest of, what did Jonah decide to do? This is why I believe that story ends that way. Because the Israelite who wrote this story is writing a story that God told him to write. And that question is not for Jonah. That question was for every Israelite. Pretty much saying, what will you do? Where are your priorities? Because in that story, Jonah's priority was not people. Jonah's priority was in his self-centeredness and himself. I want to run away. I want to die. I want to go and sit in the shade and watch the city be destroyed. I want to have this vine grow up over my head so that I am comfortable in my life. It's all about him. It's never about Nineveh. And when I look at that story and I think, okay, the Israelites wrote this story so that God would use this story in order to let them know 
Grace is not only for you, but for your enemies as well. Grace is not only for you, you've experienced it, but my grace is for everyone. And that's hard to swallow when you hate people. Because we believe that good people deserve good things and bad people deserve bad things that are coming to them. And we've come to be as a people that we believe that there is right and wrong. And wrong should be punished, and that makes total sense. But when God is involved, there is grace. And let me remind you all, you are sitting here because of grace. You are part of this chapel family because of grace. You have that baby in your hands because of grace. You have that teenager who throws a fit because of grace. And sometimes you're like, take it back. (laughs) But it's because of grace. And so to wrap up the story of Jonah, this is the point and this is the question. Does what matters to God matter to me? That's the whole point of Jonah. That's what I've come to believe. It is not a story about a man and a big fish. And we will argue for time on time. Oh, well, the big fish is just its a fantasy. It's whatever else. It doesn't make a difference what you believe about a fish. If that's your point in the story, you've missed the point of the story. God is asking you, does what matter to me matter to you? And you know what matters to God? In John 6, 39, Jesus says, and I will quote him. He says, it is the will of my father that I lose not one of these people that he has given me, but I bring them all with me in the end. God's priority is people. It is you. It is that teenager. It is that baby. It is that enemy. It is people. Even in Matthew and Luke and John, he says, you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you do what next? You love people next because they are the priority to God. Now, I'm going to close by being really honest with you. Something awful happened Friday. And if you're anywhere near social media whatsoever, you know what happened in Paris. And then we get pictures like this. Of people laying dead in the streets. And then we see the next picture of people mourning. But then the next picture is the one that killed me the most. This is a mix of pictures that have been posted on Twitter of people who love these people and they can't find them because they were in Paris. And they're asking people, have you seen them? What an awful feeling to not know when something bad happens in the world, to not know where your loved ones are. Were they part of that? I haven't heard from them. In that moment, the people who posted this are reflecting a God that I love because their priority is that person. That is who we have been called to be. But then something else happens. This happens. 
And people get so angry and upset, and it divides the church, and it causes Christians, people who love God, who say they love God, to be at each other's throats because they believe that Starbucks has taken the Christ out of Christmas. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. It is a cup. It cannot do anything. Watch it. Your mind was just blown, wasn't it? It can't do anything. It is a cup. That's all that it is. I don't believe when I read Jonah and God has called me to be a person whose priority is people. And this is, I don't mean to tick people. Yes, I do. I don't think God cares about this cup right now. This is not high on his priority list. His priority are those people that are laying dead in the streets because he has lost one. Because a Christmas tree and snowflakes and presents don't appear on a cup, people are angry and upset. And the thing that made me the most upset is when this happened Friday... My news feed still had things about this. Where is your priority? And the other funny thing is too, I'm going to call myself out on this, is when we who claim to love God and have a relationship with him and understand his grace, I mean, the best that we can, and realize the life that we have been given and how good he is, we somehow expect people who don't have a relationship with Jesus to be the same way as we are. That is foolish, and that is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. This cup has become more of a priority in people's lives than the people who died in Paris, than the people that died in the earthquake on Friday, than the people who are sitting here in our pews and struggling with addiction than the LGBT community that we have sucked at as a church, reaching and loving because they think different or they believe different. I will tell you this. If your faith tells you that you can't love a person because of what they believe, your faith is wrong, and I will take that to the grave. It is absolutely wrong. And like the Ninevites, who were sackcloth and repented, I believe there's a time in our lives, a lot of times, that we should be on our knees and our faces should be on that ground before, to, before a God that is full of grace and understanding that we deserve the same thing that they did. But by God's grace, because of Jesus dying on that cross, I don't have to do that. I don't have that punishment. That is the God that I serve. And that is the God I want you to understand in this room. If you have a relationship with Jesus, that is the God that you serve and you need to be reminded of it this morning. This cup does not matter, but people do. And if you're in this room and you're here trying to figure out, I don't understand this whole God thing. I don't really get what's going on. You don't have that relationship. Let me tell you, why in the world would you not want to be loved by a God that thinks you're more important than this cup? He loves you. He is not about division and hurt and pain. He is not about Christmas trees, snowflakes, and presents. He's not about a minimalist art piece. 
He is about you and he has always been about you and he will always be about you because you are his priority and you are his number one. So then what keeps you from running to him? Because you will find no other God that treats you that way. Nowhere. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Father, this story of Jonah is messed up. And we read it and it's like, what is happening? Because the people who are supposed to be doing the right thing are doing the wrong thing. And the people who are doing the wrong thing are doing the right thing. And it doesn't make any sense. And we get caught up with one little section about a fish. And God, the whole point of that story is grace. The whole point of that story is that you love me more than anything else you've ever made. You've invested in me. You've put time into me. You've created me crazy better than anything else you've made. God, I pray for us now as a chapel, as people who have a relationship with you that we would understand that people matter more important than a big red cup. That we'd be a people that treat other people like that. That the person sitting next to us, that we love them in a way that they understand that they have value because you made them. That we would want nothing, no credit for anything good because it all comes from you. God, for those of us in this room that are sitting in this seat of self-righteousness and I deserve good things because I love God. May we see that that is not the case. And God, may realize the people that your grace, if it is good enough for us, it is good enough for everyone in this world. And let us not be like Jonah. If even one comes to know you and have a relationship with you, may we celebrate, may we be excited regardless who it is. Father, if there is a person here this morning who has come trying to figure out what is going on because of this red cup. Why is there so much division? Why are people fighting? What is this whole Christian thing about? What is, I see all this stuff. May they just know it's about you and you love them. And that's the most important thing. Your son died for them. May they understand that they don't have to get what they deserve. Instead, they can have grace. And may it break them, may it break us, and allow you to put us back together in the best possible reflection of who you are to those around us. As we go into a time of communion, of even celebrating what you've done, and celebrating grace, may we search our hearts. And if there are things that we need to repent of, things that we need to turn away from and return to how you originally designed us to be, may we spend that time doing that now before that wafer even goes in our mouth, before that liquid even touches our lips. May we be grateful. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.